Hey, and welcome to Juvenalia. I'm Alan McGuire, and my co-host today is Sarah Marie Griffin. How's it going? How are you? I'm all right, how are you? Good. Good. Our uh, guest today is a choice music judge and freelance writer and person of the internet. (laughs) It's Eva Short. Hi, how are you? Hey, how are you? Not too bad. Good. What are you going to talk to us about today? I'm going to talk to you about Animal Crossing, because it's a game I really, really loved as a child. A very, very strange game. And how old were you when you started playing it? I started playing when I was eight. Um, it was this, it, it's this, Animal Crossing is this sort of like game that started in Japan. It was called Tobutsu no Mori. Uh, and it only landed in Europe in 2004, but I got it in 2002 because I got it while I was living in California as a child. Um, it's, I, and I started playing it when I was eight and I was really, really obsessed with it. And it's only looking back in retrospect that I realize how strange many elements of the game actually were. Uh, the entire premise is basically you get out, you arrive, there's this like opening screen and you see this, it's a dog called KK Slider. By the way, you live, you're, you're a person, a villager, and you live almost in, with, in a big town of like cutesy animals. You start off and you open up with KK Slider, who is this, he's kind of got this mixture of like Neil Cassidy beatnik meets a Richard Linklater stoner. He says like groovy and far out all the time. He's really, really big eyebrows and he's always playing guitar. He's also a small white puppy. He's also, <laughs> also a puppy. Um, he, he very much got that. I think they're trying to channel that vibe of like local bad boy you lost your virginity to. Like I only realized oh that in God, retrospect. that totally is K.K. Slider. Yeah, oh. yeah. So that's him. I think I mildly had a crush on him when I was a child, which I'm not afraid to admit because a lot of people, it's very common actually having crush on Anthrop- animated anthropomorphic creatures guys just as <laughs> for Lumiere this was a theme of our early episodes that Sarah was a furry so <laughs> we are not two minutes in and we're back on Sarah is a furry yeah. sounds All like right. an elaborate excuse to be a furry but okay <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something a furry would say <laughs> um, so the only thing that is common I remember uh, Dogtanyan like the the lady dog in D'Artagnan. I'm good. Yeah. Like, she's nice. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm not going to Google her because I don't want to know what the internet has done to her. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah. Rule 43. <laughs> great at ruining your life. Um, but yeah, so you're talking to him and he says like, so you want to like move out and see the world. That's cool. It's bad. Like it, it's great to not have people to, having to tell you all what to do all the time. So clearly like you're leaving home. Weirdly prescient because I'm like 23 and I'm about to leave college and stuff like that. Um and you get on this train and you meet this cat named Rover. He's really chatty. He talks, to you, he talks to you. He asks where you're going. He asks you your name. He makes fun of your name. And then he asks you where your place is. And it turns out you don't know because you've gotten on this train and you don't have a plan. <laughs> Which is just insane. But at the same time, I don't judge her because I feel like it's very much something I would do. Like spur of the moment. I would just want to break free and like run away Um and just board a train without any particular plan. You get on, you don't have a plan. Rover says, I have a mate who who lives in the town you're going to. I'll call him up. He might be able to sort you out. Gets on the phone to this guy called Tom Nook, who you meet later. Um, oh, comes, oh, we'll get into Tom. Oh, we'll get into Tom Nook. <laughs> oh, we'll get into Tom fucking Nook. Yeah, yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll see him. Well, he, you meet later, come back. Rover says... I've sorted something. He has these properties. They're hemorrhaging money. He doesn't literally say this, but it's actually <laughs> surprising how closely, like, it's all all this talk about, like, finance and being like, yeah, yeah, he's losing money on them. He's willing to take a loss. You have money, right? And you go, yeah, I have money. It turns out you don't have any money. So you have no home and no money and no friends in no this friends, town. No mates. And no plan. And, like, to be fair, Rover, he constantly, like, makes fun of you and is a bit of an asshole, 
But he does like rush to your aid, and like it, you do have this kind of like good Samaritan. You know, this game came out in two thousand and two, and the kind of optimism that you have as a character in that game, like, is so classic two thousand and two. <laughs> like, they would never make a game in twenty seventeen where a young person leaving home just gets on a train and is like, it'll all work out because no young person today. Even, like, <laughs> even the social and farming simulators of of recent years, like twenty sixteen, have an undertone of. I'm playing Stardew Valley right now Uh, everyone should be playing and losing all of their hours to it the way I am but there's an undertone you're like going to move into your grandfather's farm going to go and start a new life in Pelican Town and in the background it's always like what was so bad about your last life what's wrong with you why are you a farmer now? <laughs> this, is, this is something I really, I played, Harv- I played, there's another farming simulator, Harvest Moon, that I played as a child on GameCube. I had Animal Crossing on GameCube. Um, but since I write, obviously, and I like stories, what I found is that I use the games a lot as a sounding board to kind of build stories around them. I was always incredibly curious, like even even though I wasn't entirely like aware of like all the strange aspects of this game at the time, I was very fixated on because there's a lot of imagery of you like pulling in and out of a tra- uh, on in a train, uh, coming in and out of the town, and I was just very like fixated because I had this like long pan shot of the train leaving, and you come in, and I was always really curious to build a story about like why did you leave your house so suddenly? Because clearly you left in a rush, if. Mm. You left and you don't have a house. You don't have any money. Um, so I liked kind of like building grim, like gritty backstories, which particularly is interesting because it's this very treacly, syrupy. Oh, it's so treakly, man. It's but it's adorbs. gorgeous. Yeah, like, yeah. I are here for it. Like. It's like the the music's beautiful. It's done by like the Nintendo. Um, the Koji Kondo who composes for us. Yeah, there's four guys and they're all like the Nintendo guys who did like Yoshi and stuff like that as well. And it's this kind of weird, like very upbeat sort of like music type, like, yeah. Like really <laughs> enjoyable music. I don't know. I, this really isn't good content for you guys. Is it? It's just me no, like, this is enjoyable. It's me like <laughs> scatting into the mic. Um, so yeah, it's it's very and the graphics are like very very basic but very very adorable. Like it's subjectively adorable game. I feel like if I if I had a child, I possibly would buy it for them. Um, but at the same time, like it was a massive time sink um, and has really weird, uber realistic undertones because, okay, you, so you get to this town, Tom Nook, Tom Nook lands up. He is this landlord. He's a raccoon. He's a raccoon. <laughs> wearing an apron. You see, again, I keep forgetting to mention that they're all, all animals. I'll bring you the, I'll bring you the, the, the animal identification of each of these. Yeah, which is, again, yeah. not doing much for my, if I remember what kind of an animal they were in my very oh, argument. No, like, Tom, and actually, it makes sense that he is a raccoon. And he, he says, like, yes, after like everything he says as well, which is really strange. He's like, you're here to buy a house. Yes. <laughs> so I think being a raccoon is important. He's landlord and like local captain of industry. He kind of has a monopoly on the town because he's the he owns the only store in town. Mm. Um, and he owns all the the what? Nook Mart, Nook Scranny, Nook Scranny, but then yeah. it upgrades, and then it upgrades to Nook Mart. He, as Isn't you it? start pe- giving him more money, he upgrades more. <laughs> um, so he brings you over, and he finds these like house. They're like little one room shacks. There's no bathroom. It's like a metal floor. Mm. And he's like, "Do you want this house?" And you say, "Yeah, sure." And he says, "Okay, that's nineteen grand." And you're like, I have 1,000 <laughs> bells, bells, which is the currency in the game. And he's like, that's not going to work at all. Why don't you come work in my shop and work off your... So he gives you a loan without a guarantor. Mm-hmm. So you've come to this town, you have no assets, no money, no job, no plan. And now you're 19 grand in debt. <laughs> and you're the only human there as and well. And you're the only you're human being. Mysterious yeah. You're mysterious species. You're 19 yeah. grand in debt to a raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's actually, I, what I think is really funny in retrospect is I was playing this game like 2002 to maybe like 2006. Oh, I'm sure I've been playing it on and off for years. 
Um, but it's funny that like I'm playing a game that's basically based off you, a young person like being in debt because it very much mirrors like the reckless lending practices that led <laughs> to the crash, which has now like completely obliterated my job opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, oh, all of us. Yeah. yeah, all of our job opportunities. So it was very weird that in 2002, I was playing this game. It's like, boo, da, burr, 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 burr. and meanwhile, this was happening in the real world and was going to ruin my future. Gamifying your future personal <laughs> terror. Oh, yeah, I feel you. I had paid off. So like I had a massive gaffe. I was running the town in Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. And now, now, good luck getting a mortgage. Now, do you know what I mean? So you're 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 dreaming of these these adventure scenarios where you live in an adorable town with a massive gaff and your best mates, the landlord slash shopkeeper slash mafia head, <laughs> and you're rolling around in bells and having a great time. And then in real life, you're like, yes, my rent's breaking my back, and I'm never gonna get it. <laughs> like, never gonna get a never mortgage. Gonna own a home. Like, no, <laughs> never gonna own a home. True fantasy, like. And it's and the thing that's crazy about the game as well is that okay, so you pay off your first loan eventually. Uh, you do it by like doing odd jobs for the other animals in the town, and like picking fruit and going fishing, and uh, catching, catching bugs. bugs and finding the rock that dispenses money. There's a rock that dispenses money every day, but you have to just hit all of the rocks with your shovel. <laughs> you get a shovel. You have little items which are all very useful. So you have a shovel and a a, a bug nest and a fishing rod and. Uh, not many other, not many Shovel, other things. bug net, fishing rod. Uh, I think that's it. An axe. And an axe for chopping down trees. An axe to cut down trees. Deforestation. And occasionally to hit the other animals with for the croc. You can do. Can you? You, you can hit them with the axe, and you can also hit them with your net. And it's very funny because each time you hit them with your neck, they go like, Bleh, and like it makes a little like sound uh, so you do it a couple times but then eventually they turn around and they're like stop doing that and then they go off and they're just like it's like steam's coming out of their ears but if you do it every like, day Ugh. for a few weeks they'll fucking move out <laughs> <laughs> so you can terrorize the net oh, yeah. not that I have person not that I personally use farming simulators to cause public like difficulties you, but you can you can terrorize the neighbors you can also every day you can dig a hole outside their door so that when they leave the house they just fall into this hole but and they if eventually you do get it, the message and leave <laughs> get out don't like it don't like it don't like it get yeah. out of my town go away I have, I have done this I am honestly maybe 80% of the time that I'm playing farming simulators or town simulators I am there to cause trouble and malevolence <laughs> and drama that's what I'm there for I'm not here <laughs> you know? to make friends I'm here to make bells bells and enemies I'm here to win that's all I want <laughs> yeah. it's like cream of brain bells rule everything around me oh my god it's, ter it's terrible you become so Machiavellian like it's a great it's a pleasant world you know yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a lovely world but you can get up without to mischief and oh I guess god, like yes. capitalism there is no real end game you just keep getting more and more money it more is very yeah. More mischief. <laughs> well, you see, it's open-ended. And also, the thing that's really sinister is that when you pay off your loan and you, you scrape to pay this loan off, and then the moment you pay off your loan, Tom Nook offers to let you remodel your house. Mm. And you basically you can't say no. So he just makes your house bigger, but then you have another loan now. You're like, I'm still just one person. How big of a house do I actually need? You get yeah. a weird amount of responsibility in the game because also, like, the, get, the town... Um, a uh, facet of the game that really interested like critics at the time was the use of its internal clock because it notes mm. the passage of time. So mm. if you don't Seasons. play for three weeks, you come back and there are cockroaches in your house. Oh, really? Yeah. There's yes. weeds everywhere. And there's weeds everywhere. Uh. And apparently it's your job to pick all the weeds. Uh, like the house people, the townspeople come up and they say, oh, like there's weeds everywhere and like you should pick them and like plant flowers and beautify the town. 
And it's just like, uh, how am I meant to pick weeds, Marina? I don't have fingers. Because <laughs> your, hands, your hands are just like these fleshy... Well, I can't decide whether it's just that your hands are like little fleshy balls or that your hands are per- permanently balls in a fist of rage because you're constantly in debt. Yeah. And you're lonely because you're the only human. Like the kinds of animals that live in the town with you are like dogs, kangaroos, birds, koalas, cats, monkeys, horses. Like it's a full menagerie of different mm. kinds of people with different kinds of personalities. Like and they're all, you can't date any of them so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so like Sounds like an elaborate excuse you, to be a furry, Sarah. That sounds like something a furry would say, Sarah. But, um, no. Um, maybe. Um, <laughs> which I always found really irritating because I'm like I want to build relationships oh my god I keep digging <laughs> I want to build relationships with these people but they're just your shitty neighbours who like will say small weird lines to you every day and um, oh yeah there's there's a sense of isolation that I think I felt in the early Animal Crossings where I was like well I'm the only human in the village and you know I- what I think there's a good lesson in that that humans are just one species yeah, you know, we're just, <laughs> it's like something a bird like, would say. Yeah. Ultimately alone. <laughs> yeah, like we're all we all have an equal responsibility with all those other animals to keep this town nice. We have more of a responsibility because we're the humans. That's yeah. what we're doing. Well, weeding because like civic yeah. duty just hits you like a fucking train when you get to this town. <laughs> yeah. really does because because you like, run the town. Finally, a human. You own the town. Yeah. You want all the bells. What's, like, a, that's, what's amazing in the newer version of the game called New Leaf? Um, oh, they've made this more blatant oh, yes. by you arrive at this town. And they're you're like, the and they say, you're the, oh, you're the mayor we've been expecting. And you're like, wait, what? And then, but there's this paperwork and your name is on all the paperwork. So it all checks out. It's um, predestination. It's very strange. And your assistant is called like, Isabel. And she's very friendly. She's a puppy. And she's like, hi, I'm here to help you and also put you under extreme pressure to build fountains and redevelop half the town. But of course, you think you run the town because you're the mayor. But you know who really runs the town? Tom Nook. Tom Nook. Tom, Tom Nook, Nook Captain of Industry. Yeah, yeah. So money. money grubbing. You're just a, yeah. you're just a shill. S-O-B. A shill. And he has he has kids in in the in, in New Leaf. He has twins. I thought and there was nephews. Were there nephews? Oh, in game. You see, I played the. I only played the GameCube one. Um, and there are well, he has a dynasty of some description, yeah. which involves twins. Uh, and like, and they work in the shop in GameCube one. Yeah, but if you really wanted to run the town, you'd marry into the Nook Dynasty, but you can't. Because you can't have those kind of conversations. Sounds like yeah. an elaborate yeah. excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but like I swear to God, I'm only like, oh, I, I, the one major frustration I had with Animal Crossing because while it's a, a game about living in a village, it's also a game about living in a village where you can't like make friends. Do you know what I mean? You can't yeah. like really make. They send you stuff in the post sometimes, mm. and they're like, you'll wake up in the morning and look in your your little post box and be like, oh, you got a letter that says hi, how's it going? And you can send a letter back. But like, there's no cut sequences. There's no development. It's very you live in stasis. There's no plus one like in The Sims. No, where you're like you've, they like you a bit more now. They yeah. just they like you or they're leaving. That's I, it. Yeah. <laughs> I think in New Leaf, there's uh, this thing where you can like, if you do enough favors for the town, you can. They give you like a picture of themselves, which is some sort of like mark of like sort of like different like thresholds mm. of like the relationship. But in the GameCube one that I played, it's much more easy. The thing that's weird about the GameCube one is that it's extremely just focused on like nesting in the mm. sense that mm. it's very much your main goal is remodel your house. Like when you go fishing, if you get all of, if you catch all the fish, you get this like weird adornment that goes on top of your house. And there's different furniture sets that are like of increasing rarity. Uh, that you work towards, like or you can completion. dig up out of the ground, or you can dig them up <laughs> out of the ground. Um, uh, trees. There's like a housing, like there's like a housing. Oh, the nice home committee that give you judgment about how nice your gaff is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they I do. They yeah. do. They come in. But Passive so, aggressive letters in your mailbox, being like, "Your house is kind of shit. Better work on that." <laughs> and you're like, "Thanks, Helen." 
yeah, it's very, but it's just, it's very strange. Like, it's not about making friends at all. It's just kind of about amassing wealth, which maybe is just, maybe it's this, it's just like my English degree talking, but it's a very weird, like, upset, like, capitalistic obsession. And it's just very odd that I've played this now looking back, being like, oh, yeah, like, now so many people I know are in debt and we're all, like, really, really lonely. And um, (laughs) we're all really, really lonely and there's, like, rampant materialism. Uh, It reminds me very much of that, of this really great scene in David Fincher's adaptation of In Fight Club when Edward Norton is talking about the IKEA nesting habit and it's this pan shot around his apartment and he... And as he talks about like the different furniture he he buys, the pieces of furniture come up with like the white sans serif with like the Swedish name and the price Mm -hmm. underneath it. And it's just, I I don't know, for some reason, when I was like thinking back about this game, I was reminded of that scene. It's just a strange, strange little game that I was so obsessed with. And it's very weird game because you're sitting there and you're kind of in existential horror being like, why am I playing this? Because it's just a complete mirror it's just a complete like re- reiteration of everything that I experience day to day, but like just like sprung cuter. back to mm. me. Way cuter, yeah. yeah. Way cuter. I don't, but it's really, it's really odd, kind of like banal game, but incredibly like it's I was obsessed. Mm. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. Did you play it every obsessed. day? Yeah, for um, for, for years. It's for years. I was in California at the time because born here. My dad worked in tech in the 80s and he got a job in a company called Maxdoor, which makes hard drives, which of course is now defunct uh, because like solid state just like came up behind them and completely like blindsided them. Uh, we moved over to this like town called Los Gatos, which is it's where Netflix was invented. Weird side note. But they have a really good literary festival. Do they have a literary festival? They sure do. They, I did not they work know in that. conjunction with Listowel Literary Festival. Really? Yes. It really? This year. Yeah, I yeah. did not know this. This is all new information. I live there for like four and a half years. Los Gatos is fab. It's, it's North it's, Bay, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, it's very scrubbed clean kind of mm. town. Um, it's like Hoth, kind of. Like or you know, f- you know, it's. Did anyone watch Desperate Housewives? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fairview. Yeah, yeah. It's. It was exactly <laughs> like that town. Like I visited after I left. I came back and visited every single year. And what would be interesting is that I'd see. Like shops would like mm. old sh- shops would like be closed and then open, but I never saw the construction, and neither did my friends who actually live there. Mm. They'd be like, "Oh yeah, did you see that being built?" And they'd be like, "No, like you never saw like the kind of like touch of the stars the, hollow about it." Yeah, yeah, you never saw the kind of like pieces of or like the accessories of like construction. You never saw red cones. You never saw like rubble on the creek. It's just like it's just like just like quick changeover, mm. very seamless, almost like bizarrely. Seamless. I feel like David Lynch would love that town. Yeah, yeah. Real talk. There's a there is the north the North Bay especially because um, I lived in in the city for for three years and uh, we only went up to the North Bay on special occasions where we were like let's rent a car and go to the North Bay and we would drive up to the beautiful hills and like wine country and it was just stunning up there you know because the city was so um, city in comparison. Yeah. Like there was a, a to- not quite suburban, it's more country living, I think, than suburban. It, it, we used to joke that it was the only town in California. Yeah, it's uh, a town. It's a yeah, town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, it's a, t- it's a town. Like it's only about, f- it was only about 40 minutes from San Francisco. Like it was a Over the wonderful bridge. place to grow up. But yeah. I I don't think, I didn't really, I, I see, I, I was always a bit of a, a weird kid. I've, I've always thought of myself looking back as being a bit of a, like a strange kind of melancholy kid. Mm. Um, have you anyone ever heard that rhyme? Monday's child is full of face. Mm. Tuesday, no. Monday's child is full of gra- is full of grace. Wednesday's child, Tuesday's child, of fair yes. face. Wednesday's child is full of woe. Whoa. And I was born on a Wednesday. So and was I. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, like, maybe that's a really weird thing to say, but I always thought, I always kind of thought that I was like, oh, yeah, I was always kind of, I was kind of a melancholy child and it makes sense because I was born on a Wednesday. Um, but because I didn't, I had maybe had trouble like making friends there. And also like I hated being outside and I still hate the sun, even though I was living this like gorgeous resplendent background where the weather was just perfect all the time. 19 degrees year round, <laughs> no wind, no rain. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Like it would be to the point that when it would rain, there like people would be like thrilled because it never happened yeah I lived there um, during a massive drought it was like when there was rain it was borderline celebration there were droughts know? almost every summer when I was there because I remember it would be so hot you couldn't play outside which mm. which I didn't mind but yeah. which was also kind of sucky I think we're all indoor kids here oh big yeah. time yeah. Yeah. yeah no shame so Whatever. I played so I, I played this game a lot I played other I was reflecting on this before uh, coming here and I realized I played a lot of games as a kid. Uh, when I was like, when when I was really, really young, my brother had had this like little toy laptop thing. It was meant for eight-year-olds, but my mom got it for him when he was like six because she just kind of threw him into the deep end. But I had started playing that when I was two. I was really, really into like computers from the get-go. My mom bought me video games, but only educational ones. So I had like an Aladdin math game and like a bunch of these games that like I even had this one game where it's like you just go in and you just build little stories like you put in the character and you like put in text and you just like create little movie sequences to go with stories which is interesting because now when I write um, I see it in my head like a movie and then I just kind of jot down what I see so if mm. I'm like coming up with stuff to write I'm like I sit there and like close my eyes a lot or then like use a dictaphone to like describe what I'm like mentally seeing Um uh, so yeah, I played this game. I played this game a lot because I didn't don't think I integrated very well. Then I came back here and at age ten, and I had a really American accent at the height of the Bush administration, which <sighs> did not go down well. So I also and also I think I was naturally a bit of a loner kid. So I ended up like sitting inside. I played this. I played Animal Crossing and another social simulator called Harvest Moon, mm. which is even more like Harvest Moon is less open ended. There's like story arc you you return to your father's farm like after he's died um which is very kind of grim opening our father's what, grandfather's which, which which subtitle of harvest moon was that a wonderful life okay i'm gonna pull up harvest moon facts because um, i love love harvest moon harvest moon <laughs> is a really wonderful game um but like very strange game as well like you just you run this the whole premise is you run this farm you get married um and you have children and you like just keep kind of going through and like planting crops in the correct season. But you get older and older. And then as you get older, you start to get tired more quickly mm. uh, when you're working. And then the game ends when you're out plowing a field and you have a heart attack and die. And that's and then roll credits. Wow. <laughs> that's the game. Um, I was really, really into these social simulators as a child. And obviously, like I don't think that's in common given the popularity of Sims. Mm. But it's something that I've meditated on of late, wondering why it is. Particularly because I am still quite into games as a as an adult, but I play very weird like online games that like so Sarah, who's like game lo like our gaming expert at the table, a couple ones. I you, didn't even know them. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm always delighted when I hear about experimental games that I haven't heard of yet. Yeah, because that means more places to burn my time and expect <laughs> like just to put my brain. You and know, these ones that I have because you see, I have a I have a Chromebook, so it's all solid state. Uh, it's funny because I was just talking about like hard drives and solid Whoa, state. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all solid state, so I can't really download stuff. But uh, there's this one game I like called, and they're all very short little online things that generally kind of maybe like, kind of like art games or like sort mm -hmm. of like demonstrative of a point. There's a game called Elude, mm -hmm. which is made by the MIT Ga Gambit Lab in Singapore. Um, 
it's a game designed to teach people who haven't experienced depression what depression is like. It's ideally like that they give it to the families of people people mm, being treated yeah. with, for depression. And it's this really lovely game where you're just like a little, you're a little character and you, you're you meant to be like climbing this tree and you jump up and there's these little birds that you can click and if you click them, they give you like a boost so you can jump higher and you can jump up through this tree and eventually like jump into the cloud, blah, blah, blah. But no matter what you do, you eventually just start to lose energy. Like there's no, you can't stop it. You lose energy and you just come plunging back to earth. Um... And then occasionally when you get really into the throes of it, you find yourself like sinking in quicksand going towards this like hell-esque like mm. pit. And you just kind of have to like walk against all of the forces like dragging you down. Um, and you just kind of go through that cycle a couple of times and it's meant to, which I think is really, really apt description of like how depression is where you can just be kind of like going along doing your thing. And the next thing you have this, like you feel this, like like it's just like your chest fills up with lead and like your knees come out from underneath you and you're just like, ugh. Can't really do anything for a while. So that's one I really, really like and really think is important. There's another game called Spent, which I'd recommend. Um, it It's a, made by this American charity, and the whole point of the game is you're impoverished, and you have to make it 30 days without going broke. Uh, so you start off, you pick where you're going to live. The farther away from town you live, the lower your rent is, but the more of a commute you have. Um, it says things like, oh, do you want to pay your car insurance? But you have very little money and you kind of have to make it 30 days. So you're like, uh, I don't think I'll pay the car insurance. Uh, sure, I'll leave it. And then like you get in a car accident and then people are chasing you up and you have no insurance. So you have to go dodge that. Then your kid comes back to you and says that he's getting made fun of because he's on the free lunch scheme. So you have the choice of do I give the kid money or do I risk him going hungry because he's too embarrassed? Your mom comes to you and she says no money for medication. And you can either give her the money for medication or you can say no. But obviously, in some instances you say, oh, of course I have to give my mom money for medication. But in the game, like if you only have $200 and you have to make it 30 days and also your kid's about to go on a field trip, you mm. have to say. It's just very, very interesting kind of like social justice game that actually my mom's a college lecturer and she started using it to teach her students um, uh, to sort of about like the realities of the poverty cycle. Mm. Uh, one game I particularly love that you can download is called A Crazy. These are all like quick little games that you can just play like and they really like kind of make you think. Actually, if you Google like 20 games to make you think, there's this blog called Casual Girl Gamer and she's compiled a load of these which is where I found them. And Acrasia is one where you're going through this little maze and it's meant to be like a metaphor for addiction and you have the option of trying to like plow through the maze very unpleasantly while being chased by a dragon but try to make it to the other side or you can pick up these little orbs which are meant to represent drugs and everything goes like very psychedelic for a while but the more orbs you pick up the more you kind of take from your own life force and eventually like you die if you keep doing it. Uh, those are just a bunch of ones that as an adult I've kind of come back to because I really value kind of the how interactive like the games are interactive and they're at, so which makes them really really interesting storytelling tools which I think you actually wrote an article, Sarah. Oh I think, yeah, about this. Oh yeah, I'm obsessed. Like, actually, I wrote one for tour, and I, I just, I just finished one for guts, actually. And by the, so by the mm. time this is broadcast, this will, I'll that that article will be out. Oh, for the uh, fight about, back issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's my big, my big. I worked in a, a chain of video game stores in my early twenties and late Me teens, too. Yep. and um, competing ones, no less. Yes. Uh, and uh, I had uh, a horrific time. 
So it's a piece about farming simulators and about how real life isn't as simple as mm. if you're nice to people, people are nice back to you. Mm. And how sometimes your earnestness can work against you, which is uh, my, my big problem in life <laughs> is that I'm just too sincere, <laughs> apparently. Um, but yeah, the whole, weirdly enough, the whole frame on the essay, and I can talk about it because it will have been out by the time mm. this drops, um, is with Stardew Valley and Harvest Moon. Mm. So it's about... Uh, the, the the thing I like about so Stardew Valley is basically a farming simulator similar to Harvest Moon. It exists because of Harvest Moon. I think a lot of the games that we're talking about here are uh, like like Animal Crossing and Harvest Moon are very much originators of their form. Like they're mm. the first kind of games yeah, yeah. that that brought you these villages and these microcosms and these small uh, social simulations that you can live in, like little pleasant ones, you know. Mm. Um, there's a huge feeling of safety while you're playing them for the, all of the different diegetic kind of pieces of them like insist on warmth and safety like there's a yeah. reason that you, that you like, like there's a, a literal giant wall around your town in oh crossing. Like nothing that you can't get out but nothing can get in either no it's, it's candy man yeah. it is so relaxing and so mm. safe so uh, Stardew Valley is directly a product of Harvest Moon in that it's the same format you arrive in this small town your grandfather has died and has left you this farm you were working in a shitty office and like uh, for a company called Joja Mart, which were which are a big evil chain of supermarkets, <laughs> and you quit and you go and you move in the farm. And the farm is a hip, and no one in the town knows you or wants to talk to you. So you spend a bunch of time making the farm, like hoeing the land, planting seeds, exploring. Like there are mines and there's an ocean. You can fish and you can like smash open rocks and collect jewels. And there's a and Pelican Town, the, the neighboring town. You can go and make friends. You can also date uh, <laughs> heavily. Um, so many people of many genders at once. It is the crack. Um, it is so funny. Um, so most of my essay is about uh, making friends in Pelican Town, but the rest of it is about um, being a miserable person in my early 20s who found it really hard to make friends. Um, and I think... I, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. I just turned 23 and I feel very much in that vibe. Oh, it yeah. never goes away, babe. <laughs> it never goes away. But you get used to it. You, you, you just yeah. you wear it like a good coat. Um, but the... The thing about um, these simulators and storytelling and as a, as a device for storytelling is that while you're playing them, I think if you're a creative, if you have any sort of creative impulses, which I do think like, people do and they just pretend they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, well, on one hand, you're engaged in the narrative, but on the other hand, you're building, like you were saying earlier, building stories for each of these characters yourself mm. in, in, in your own head. Mm. So games that have a blank background like Animal Crossing and like Harvestman, like Stardew Valley, allow you to build further on the relationships you have and the the journey that your small little pixelated protagonist with weird meat hands and you know <laughs> these we, the, they they allow you to build more out of it in your own sense of imagination like i have um two tattoos on my feet from the legend of zelda the ocarina of time which i got when i was 11 mm. when it first came out because I thought you meant playing. you had the tattoos <laughs> when you were 11. Oh, not that hardcore. <laughs> almost that Whoa. hardcore. Almost that hardcore. And I got them when I was 19 um which is while I was working in that video game store, yeah. actually. Um, and which did nothing to make anyone think I was any cooler. I totally thought if you got tattoos, you were cool. False. <laughs> um, <laughs> wrong. Um, made that mistake. No, I love them. They're, they're cool. I think they're cool. That's all that matters. Um, but <laughs> I uh, got them because playing video games made me want to be a writer. And yeah. now, even though I spend most of my life generally chilling out of my own making stuff up, I still play video games recreationally because I think they do... There's some, like part of my brain that they warm up like at the end of the day I will still sit down and play video games and I prefer the weird ones like I really think that especially 
I think not that I don't think we're quite post Call of Duty. I don't think we're quite post GTA. Mm. And that time mm. will come. Yeah. I called it. There will be a post uh, war game, post uh, violent crime simulator era of games. I don't know when that is, but it's coming. Because yeah. the games of the year for the last few years from amongst critics have all been weird indies. They've all been the weird what ones. What were they? Uh, Undertale, uh, okay. I think for a lot of people, was the game of the year in 2015. I'm not really sure what cracked through. You know, there's a lot of conversation about Stardew Valley last year. I will. Mm. That's how I found out about it. I think it. I'm going to check this game out. Also, Dude, it's what a time, is the it's game? Is it called Rapture or something? Rapture. Oh, it's this really interesting game that I've really wanted to play. That it's like, I think you're sort of, it's sort of supposed to be like, I think it's post-apocalyptic mm. and you're in this very beautiful bucolic setting and the graphics are supposed to be gorgeous but there's this kind of like dark understory I think it's called The Rapture or something like that we'll have a we'll all have a, we'll I'll have have a, a look at that because I, I also used to really love I loved I've played Bioshock a bit ah yeah, yeah. you yeah. see the action stuff like I don't mind it but I'm just so yeah. super bad at it I'm incredibly bad at it the first like 10 minutes of Bioshock Infinite before everything goes to shit mm. was amazing but the mm. game even yeah. I like the but I like seeing the sort of like decayed mm. like, the world sort of, like, yeah. world yeah. and I really think that if we like, yeah I think you're right and then if the gaming industry leans more into sort of like visual story interactive visual, storytelling and, and writing because writing yeah. is where the power is in, in the story because you know you're dead right that like I am actually really shit at games yeah. and, it's, <laughs> and it's followed me I'm around really bad at that games. stupid young flits are like yeah but they're shit at games and I'm like bitch no I am not shit at games I am really good at games I'm not really good at fighting people mm. I'm just not really good at hitting things with things. I don't. I don't, I don't care about strafing. I don't. Yeah. Don't care. I, I was want much, to rob the car. I, I was don't yeah. care. Much, I was much more of a point and click girl. As a kid. I also mm. played. Yeah, anyone yeah. know Curse of Monkey Island? Ah, yes. Oh, yes. yes. What a game. Oh. What a game. <laughs> the best of games. They have it on iPad actually. Um, Get back in there. I have, I have played it. You see, the thing is, I have a very, a very addicting personality. Mm. Um, so I can't trust myself with phone games. Like I had to delete all of them when I had stuff in for Christmas because I was playing um, Pocket Morty. If anyone's heard of that, oh yeah, uh, yeah. it's like yeah. Po- it's like Rick and Morty Pokemon. <laughs> oh, stop! It's oh, it's oh, like two worlds that I can't combine or I'll never get out of it. I just <laughs> oh my god, it's really it is a massive massive time suck. But um, the thing is, you have to have conversation, especially if you do have an addictive personality and you are a person who plays video games to wind down. Um, you do have to. I genuinely have to have a conversation myself when I'm going to bed. I'm like, yeah, but I go just play a couple of days in Stardew Valley. I really should go and give Sebastian another seashell. Like, I no, because that's three hours. I'll just be like, it's fine, just another day, it's cool. Let's go down to the mines and I'll just break open some more rocks and get yeah. some more gold. When I, I had like, the GameCube in my room as a oh, kid. Same. So a lot of the time, and I even as a kid, I was a bad sleeper. Um, a lot of the time, like, I'd just have the, like, I'd just be sleep in bed trying to get to sleep and then i go... You know, if I got up right now, I could catch a cool cannon. Yeah. So, <laughs> what was it called? No, the fossil fish. The fossil, I know the not, one you're talking about. It's not called cool cannon. No, but it's called, the, I, I can see it. You caught it. Did it, it. Yeah, yeah. I it played mostly massive. on DS. It was like masso fish. Like, um, masso. The masso fish. Um, fishing is such a huge part of these games, you know? And I think, too. I think this originated. I have a theory about why okay. fishing in games is always the most popular minigame. Because there's so many weird games where you can just go fishing for a while <laughs> I don't know if I'm Jesus there's an essay in this actually um, <laughs> fishing in bigger video games and other shit that nobody else cares about by Sarah Griffin um, except us too except us right you guys can read it uh, I think it comes from Zelda because in the Ocarina yeah. of Time there is a f- oh I'm doing it again I'm like sorry I got my nails done so they're real clicky <laughs> ASMR and they look beautiful everyone <laughs> thank you um, I think it's from the fishing pond in the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time so for mm. no reason 
there was this fishing pond and you could go and hang out by the fishing pond and catch fish. There's only about six fish you could catch. It was quite difficult. Largely all the fish were identical. There was no stakes. Nobody Mm. cares. You could get a piece of heart, I think, at a push. If you were really bold, you could steal the hat off the guy who ran the shop. Yeah. But like, it didn't have any, like, uh, tension or pull. It was just a chill out fishing game. But genuinely, you could be there for hours. And I think, and that kind of just became this understood thing about Legend of Zelda that there was this cool fishing pond and that everyone, like, Mm. it was a You just go and you rent and you just go up and do it. That's it. And then they kind of just started surfacing again. So, like, a huge part of Animal Crossing is fishing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a huge, like, it's your, one of your a main part of Harvest of Moon is fishing. Yeah. A huge part of Stardew And you can Valley make sushi in Harvest Moon. Yeah. So also, you, you get a kick out of this. <laughs> you know, in the GameCube version of uh, Animal Crossing, you can have, you can have an NES and you can play SNES games and you can play oh, so Legend of Zelda. <gasps> oh, it's oh, so it's in yeah. Animal Crossing. And Mario Bros. is there as well, yeah. Oh it's God. very self-reflexive and mm. interestingly self-aware, which is another... I love when they do that. I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm pander to me. I love when they do that. We're playing a game at the moment, me and Kerry... Um, Actually, this is in the essay as well. I gave an interview on a different podcast a while ago and I was talking about how much me and my husband play video games together and the person interviewing me said, well, thank God you found each other. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not even scarlet for myself because yes, but she, the, the person was kind of trying to make me scarlet for myself. <laughs> it didn't work. But we're playing a video game at the moment called Night in the Woods, which I'm going mm. to aggressively push onto everyone for the whole year because it is the best game that'll come out this year. I also got the new Zelda yesterday, so I know I'm, t- I'm talking like... Talking a real big game for someone who hasn't played Breath of the Wild just yet. But, oh my God, it's perfect. And it's made by three people. It was kickstarted. It's like a tiny team built something insanely beautiful. Mm. Like so, so beautiful. And there's a game within that that you can play that is also excellent. The the protagonist who is a cat called May, um, like a 20-year-old who leaves college and moves back to her hometown, which is like... Central, like not central. Oh, I've seen this. It looks oh my beautiful. God, the McDonald's so was our art for their artwork was mm. oh, screenshots God, of it. Yeah, it's insane. I'm obsessed, guys. Yeah. I can't tell you enough. You should play it. It's about um, suburban decay and small town life and coming back from college and everyone is different but the same. And it's about it's full of secrets. Mm. Like it's full of secrets. The the dialogue goes between being painfully funny and gut punch moments of sorrow I have never played anything like it I may never play anything like it again it's perfect I love games that are kind of sad oh it's got because I'm such a I'm so I'm such a like little depresso (laughs) (laughs) I love love that stuff just like pour it just like let it wash all over me like all of the morose stuff there's a level in it which you think is going to be great crack because you're going to you go to a party in the forest with your friends one of Greg Greg is a fox and his boyfriend Angus is a bear and and your friend B who's a crocodile and who's real pissed at you but you don't know why I don't even know why I don't know why B is pissed me, I can't wait to find out. Um, and you guys drive out to the forest and you go to this party and there's a campfire and oh my god, your boyfriend from junior year is there and you're like, oh, I, mean, good, I don't want to talk to you. So you talk to everyone at the party and then you drink a beer. And then you talk to everyone at the party again and you're a bit drunker. And then you drink another beer. And as the night the night progresses and you become such a mess, then you end up being driven home by B who hates you and you throw up in her car and you're crying and it's brilliant. It starts off so funny, but it gets so sad. It is Oh, and it's, that's just one tiny moment. This sounds like most of t- my 2014. It's I'm all being of us. Honest. It's all of us, you know? And I think it's that ability to permeate through the expectation of what we're doing when we're playing a mm. platform game, which is effectively jumping over holes and collecting shit mm. and being able to use that to reflect back our life experiences at us. It's so powerful. And also the little video game that you play in it on your desktop is great. So it's got all those meta layers within it because it's made by people who were raised playing video games. Mm. And I think a lot of these indie games that you're talking about, 
uh, especially the ones that are having conversations around social issues and mental health, are made by people who played video games and who growing up like with controllers in their hands. Like I got my first Super Nintendo when I was six years of age mm. uh, at Christmas, and I only had four games, but like I know them inside out. I know ev- I I'm like my muscle memory for a Super Nintendo controller is like on. Like I, I can, it's I can play so this game. It's so weird that, best. like, if I feel like if I picked up a GameCube controller, I'd just be like, Phew. Yeah. Which, like, yeah. You just have I had the N64. That's an awkward controller as well. Yeah, you know, it was a weird. I think <laughs> it was before its time. It was a very yeah. strange one. Um, it's, uh, I had the N64 actually. My brother, like, my brother ah, and his dad, my brother and my dad queued up to get it, and I had like Super Mario, and I was the only kid in the cul-de-sac who had it. So everyone else like came over to my place and used to like we used to all just like play. To, take turns playing Super I Mario. I remember playing Super Mario 64 for the first time with my dad on Christmas really? morning. Really? And uh, we were both sitting in front of, I was, what was it? It was 1997, 96. And I sat down, oh my God, it's fucking more than 20 years ago. And <laughs> I sat down next to my dad and I had been playing my Super Nintendo for years at that point. Mm. A console lasted you four solid years back then. Do you oh, know yeah. what I mean? It was much yeah. less touch and go. Mm. A single video game was seventy pounds. Like mm. the industry was very different, and the the conversation around it like it was a it was a beautiful, expensive thing you had in your home, and you did not get a new game until you finished the game you were playing. Yeah, no, we used to rent a game from Xvision for a night every oh, yeah. week. That was it. That was it. Like yeah. it was really precious. Mm. But I remember sitting down on Christmas morning with my dad, who was as excited as I was, and. Uh, this sounds like a very strange detail, but I, I remember it really viscerally. Pushing the stick forward instead of left or right. And mm. realising that there is a depth of dimensionality in the world. That you yeah, weren't yeah. just walking along a scenery anymore. What? You were going in. And that was a very, like, <gasps> moment. Mm. Mm. Because nothing looked like that. Like, my dad often talks about going to see Star Wars for the first time yeah. and what that meant in, in fucking Clonmel in Tipperary, you know, years and years ago when Ireland was not by any means a first world country and things yeah. were different. But it is watershed moments where everything is different. Like, we, and I think with narrative in games is where those watershed moments will exist now instead of with graphics because who mm. fucking cares? <laughs> like, I think the watershed moments in gaming are going to be around emotion as well as visual yeah, or maybe more so do you know what I mean yeah. Those, they still have the ability to push you that way I think mm. the commercial success of something like Inside Out mm. uh, might be a very yeah. good harbinger for it because actually I've just, I just had a brain right there there's another game I played it when I was younger I recently got it on Steam on my computer but it's on my computer in my parents house so I can't download it because Chromebook it's probably better off because like, again <laughs> like it would, this would I'm about to I'm trying to finish my degree and it would absolutely like Torpedo my chances if I had this game. It's called Psychonauts. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, Psychonauts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I know it's just because I just did the introduction. Because a lot of people have been like, "What are you talking about?" But if you think about it, the game's all about like you're a psychonaut, and it's eventually supposed to be this like, and it's the way I see it. It's like a nanotechnology form of like psychiatric or psychological care. Mm. The whole thing is that you go in, you traverse these people's like mindscapes. And you open up chests that are like repressed memories and stuff like that, and you defeat their demons. Yeah. Um, which, of course, like you don't really you pass no you take no notice as a kid, but then when you look back as an adult, you realize it's very interesting that they're introducing the kind of like concepts of that mental chat, issues. Yeah, that that is a long way from jump over the hole, collect the coin. Yeah, mm. like that, or collect the banana. That, jump that over came the hole. out a long time ago as well. I think it came out early two thousands. It was PlayStation Two, so yeah. God, yeah. PS2, yeah. man. Yeah, so um, that's another one. I very, I do think it's very, and games are a great way to introduce because, like, films are one thing. 
uh, to introduce kids to games because if you look at all of all of the like two and three year olds, like I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but my sister has nieces and nephews, and she says what's crazy is that you have these babies who, like, if you you'll they'll, you'll show them a phone and they know how to like zoom in on pictures, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, which is insane. Fluency. My yeah. nephew going... could find Angry Birds videos on YouTube before he could read. Just from knowing you press that button and that button and then the Angry Birds all, videos comes up. Yeah, so all yeah. these kids have iPads in front of them. Mm. Um, so I do you think... <laughs> they are. They're not, I mean, that in a derogatory way. I mean, like, that's... It's 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 nearly transhumanism. Like, yeah. you have an understanding of a computer before you have an understanding of language. So I, I really, really hope that these more, like, artistic indie games that are kind mm. of, like, trying to make a point sort of, like sort of like to get developed more and more because they could be a very, very interesting tool to... Like, it would be great if you could have a game that would introduce children to the concept of death. Because, mm. you see, you have a lot of picture Limbo. books that introduce yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. But an interactive one, again, as you said, you can push forward. There's another dimension. It's not... You're not being, like... Like books, I mean, like say books are two dimensional. Like I don't, I think like there's a, like you open up books and there's a whole other world within words, which is beautiful. But games are like there's a visual thing where you can push in and you're and music, exploring kind of this world. Textures that your hands are touching. There's something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they could be potentially a really, really great tool for teaching kids about abstract contract concepts that are difficult. Although then it's a debate of. Should the games be teaching them or should their parents be? Or should yeah. you just buy a goldfish and watch what Should happens? you just buy a goldfish? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, remember what happened with Skippy? Well, now with Grandma. Well, <laughs> I think there's less of a sense of permanence with a lot of games now. Because it used to be like you had your three lives and you died and you had to start the game from the, from oh, the start. Yeah. But now you just go like back a minute. Well, I think it. there was a there was something that Hideo Kojima, who developed Metal Gear Solid, who is currently working on a game with fucking Mads Mikkelsen, which ah! if, you, if you want to lose an hour on the internet looking at some weird shit, look at Hideo Kojima working with Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, and what's his name from The Walking Dead? Um, Norman Reedus? Yes, yeah. Norman Reedus. So it is a very... Hideo Kojima has gone so far off the walls, but he is an incredible... <laughs> like, he's a visionary. Uh, and he, he developed the... The Metal Gear Solid series was his brainchild mm-hmm. um, all along, which is also bananas and was always a bit ahead of its time. Uh, and it's more a game about stealth than murdering, which is why mm-hmm. it was one of those weird games, military-ish... Games with a military tone that I kind of... Prim- uh, that I enjoyed mm-hmm. because I didn't have to I didn't have to kill anyone I could yeah. just sneak around um, but he had had in his mind to build a game that expires when you die so you oh. get one go and when you die the game no longer works mm. so oh, to wow. raise the stakes of your death so if you get put out the game's done you can't play the game anymore yeah. that's very so interesting treasure life you know and I think like Undertale, which I don't know if I talked about in here yet, but I feel like no, I, yeah, don't. I have to be stopped talking about it in general. That's game game of the year from 2015, developed by one young man, a guy called Toby Fox, who's 24, um, and a couple <laughs> of other designers. Um, deals a lot with mar- complex moral choices in that there's two ways to play it. You can play sorry, there's three ways to play it. You can play uh, neutrally, where you kill some things, don't kill other things. Mm-hmm as most people would when they sit down to play a video game. You can play it in something called genocide mode, which is where you kill everything that breathes. <laughs> or you can play it as a pacifist, where you don't kill anything. And mm. you engage in battle scenarios, but instead of hitting them, you have a conversation. You can choose fight or act on the screen. Mm-hmm. And the act is lie down on the floor beside them, have a conversation, or wiggle your hips, or ask them, tell them a joke. Mm. And you can methodologically get through conflict scenarios or confrontation scenarios with conversation instead of with violence. It's very interesting. And the ending that you receive, the, the journey that you receive through the game by doing it that way, 
and if someone's attacking you, you can dodge and like there's the, the the interface is really unique and really beautiful and extremely throwback. Like it looks like something that the Super Nintendo could have supported. Um, but it uh, a lot of the conversations that you have in the game are around morality and um, around like harm and you gain if you do kill stuff, you gain experience points and you level up. But the cost that that comes to you at, mm. like the music stops playing in the game. Wow. People run away from you. Yeah. People don't believe that you're a human because you're just walking around killing things. But if you don't hit anyone and instead you kind of talk to them, you can, oh my God, here's the, with the dating simulators again, you, after you uh, survive an encounter with a boss, you go on a date with them or you hang out with them and you have these huge, brilliantly written, is the operative word here, yeah. really well written uh, stories that you get as a reward for not killing things. Yeah. So I think that chat, it doesn't have to be on the nose. It can be woven into something bigger that you don't need to be like a murderer to mm. win. Like it's, ah, it's great. It's great. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. It is interesting in general how kind of like, I guess, moral philosophy is being like, is, is kind of manifesting these days. Because one other thing that made me want to choose Animal Crossing and really interests me in what I'm writing lately, nothing's been published yet, but it's stuff I'm working on. Um, I've noticed that like animated, you see animated series were always popular, like in terms of TV series, like you have The Simpsons, Family Guy. But I noticed the ones that are popular among my age group or among like millennials in general uh, your Rick and Morty's and uh, Bojack Horseman, Adventure Time, Adventure Time, regular Steven show, Universe. Steven Universe, all those. Um, what I noticed that they're much obviously like animated series, like it's kind of kind of a childlike presentation, but the subject matter is very different. Like Simpsons and Family Guy and Futurama used to be very political, very on the nose. Notice uh, none of those animated series have tried to weigh in on any of the political sort of the political climate these days, which whether it's just that like like Rick and Morty were still waiting on that third series, mm. Bojack Horseman were still waiting on season four. Um, it could be that, but I, I also just think that's not what they're into anymore. They're both espousing different forms of this really crushing existential nihilism in that Rick and Morty is essentially all about this kind of like Lovecraftian cosmic pessimism a guy called Eugene Sacker has a great book called In the Dust of This Planet that talks all about like the philosophy of horror I think is the series and you can apply that really easily to Rick and Morty um, in that like whole like in the opening monologues he all talks about like oh there's infinite different universes and infinite different realities and none of this really matters and we're all just like a tiny speck in the universe and then in Bojack Horseman equally Bojack Horseman of course which is a town which has a mixture of human and animals or they're all mm. like different animals which is, of course done to kind of like represent the absurdity of the place and he's more talking about like the kind of nihilism that comes from acknowledging the sort of rampant materialism and superficiality of his existence and fame and the relationship and fame. between success I and just find it very interesting that it's animated series are really capturing young people's imaginations and they're really grim which i think kind of reflects a very pervasive, a pervading sense that the this world was not built for us or with us in mind, yep. mm. and people are kind of coming to that realization, and um, and also like it's just like a lot of as I said before, like the crash has happened, which means like everyone's 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 depressed, everyone no everyone's having trouble finding a job, everyone's trying having trouble finding a house. Like one of the, I like I like I'm not I. Just recently started using Twitter a lot more and while I really enjoy it like I was horrified when I realized that 
everyone I knew was like experiencing some form of like mental anguish or mental illness, mm. which made me feel less alone because I have suffered with that in the past. But of course, everyone has. But then it also made me wonder, like, why do we have all these people who are incredibly unhappy, all these young people, and nothing seems to be being done about it? And I just think it's interesting that there's this pessimism being presented in this very childlike way to people. It's just something that really fascinates me and I hope to explore more in writing. Yeah, no, it's it's really I, I think my I think there's there's definitely a movement and there's definitely something happening at the moment around animation. And something I think is important uh with that is the look at the age of the people who are making them. So Bojack mm. Horseman and Rick and Morty, my one issue that I call with them while I enjoy them and I love Rick and Morty is that it's a bit clever and it's a bit I'm the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, and but it's, it's Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland making it, so... And that's fine, but that, for me, that's a bit like, oh, are you? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Fucking what a surprise. Um, man is the smartest person in the room. Great, cool. And Bojack Horseman also wears this, uh, this awful dude, but he's always right, and it's like, ah, oh, here we go. Um, so that kind of like wears me thin a bit, but I think the nihilism is generational. Mm-hmm. I think it's generational in a big way. And... Uh, Folks like Carmen and whatever who are by no by their by any means they're fucking brilliant minds. Yeah. While my taste often clashes against the products of the the the, the products of their their genius or whatever, I've no doubt that the Jesus, some of the Rick and Morty is stunning. Like oh, the storytelling man. is like watching a Rube's Goldman machine. It blows going. me away. Phenomenal. Anyway. But I think alongside things like Rick and Morty and Bojack Horseman are things like Adventure Time, Steven Universe, Regular Show and like Over the Garden Wall, which they were all made by people who went to the same art school. Gravity Falls all went to the same art school at the same time. Mm. Who are all like, I don't think Pendleton Ward, who developed Adventure Time, is much older than us. But Alex Hirsch, Rebecca Sugar, that crowd are like just about 30. So they would have been raised watching the same TV shows as us, uh, like watching the same, playing the same video games. So a lot of the things that have influenced us or we've grown up with, we get to see influencing the things that they make. So of course we like it more. We're painting from the same palette mm. or we, we have the same set of visual references or the same set of musical references. So all of the things that, that they do with their worlds intrinsically make us happy because we know what they're doing yeah. and they have the same sorrows and concerns as we do yeah. so the nihilism and the dread and the the sense that we're not living in a world built for us are being portrayed by people who are feeling the same way as we do yeah. even if they are like 30 under 30 media luminaries from yeah. Forbes magazine they still feel the same way that we do <laughs> you know but they also they were all obsessed with The Simpsons and Lost yes. and Twin Peaks like we yeah. were yeah so which is Gravity Falls. That's I only what Gravity oh, Falls is. It's so the three of those good. things. I love it. Yeah. I only love just started watching Twin Peaks. Actually, I've haven't. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. I only, only started season two started. last night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> I've seen other Lynch, uh, David Lynch films. So I guess the the style of it, like, I feel like if you went into Twin Peaks with no context of like Lynch's yeah. style, you'd just be a bit like, why are all these like aliens pretending to be humans in I this town? I can't imagine what it was like watching it in 1990. <laughs> Could you imagine on your Friday nights? Incredible thing. Yeah. My mum and dad loved it growing up and I actually did get it with no context. So I got a DVD, six six episodes of it and a DVD when I was 15. <laughs> um, after my first breakup, my dad was like, this will cheer you up. It just goes to show that we all understand each other. <laughs> and I got obsessed with it. We should do an episode, find something to do an episode, a full Twin Peaks mm-hmm. episode of oh, Decompression, yeah. especially because it's the new series is coming out in May. Yeah. Please, Jesus Christ, let it not be terrible. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's and but that's the darkness behind the suburbia, which comes back to Animal Crossing, mm. where there is there is certainly a lot of uh, like saccharine sweetness, and your neighbors are all animals, and everything's very nice, but there's absolutely something rotten in town. 
And that rotten is Tom Nook. Tom Nook. <laughs> <laughs> it's the capitalistic force behind everything you do. It's, you capitalist, know? You're, it's, it's capitalistic enslavement, the game. Oh my God, <laughs> it is. God, it's, Post-Possession Ireland, the musical. It's And I guess also, I think also my upbringing, because as I, as I said about Los Gatos, Los Gatos is a very interesting town, a very strange place. As mm. I said, it looks it looks it looked a bit like Fairview in Desperate Housewives. And of course, Desperate Housewives, the whole thing is that it's this beautiful suburban, scrubbed clean surroundings while in while there's all this like infighting and internal corruption. conflict and yeah. corruption. Um I wouldn't say that Los Gatos was corrupt, but I do definitely think there was a very strange like I am what I've noticed a lot about some of the kids who came out of that town because it's a perfect place to grow up. Perfect. Like the schools, the Waz kitted out the local high school with Max back in 2003 because his kids went there. Um, and that's in 2003. So that's a lot. Like it has, you have all the resources. Like I remember when I was in primary school, like the school plays were like big operations and stuff like that. You have everything, but it doesn't stop some of the kids coming out there like being crushingly unhappy. There are a lot of people who are like, my friends used to joke that there are a lot of like functional stoners in the high school who would just mm. be like constantly smoking weed and somehow like kind of like still like doing their getting. Was it very diverse grades. up there? They there is a joke that there are more Priuses in the in the high school Carson Park than there were black people in the school. So jokes. <laughs> wow. Um, there were there were a lot of like that was not a joke. I, it was just a joke that my friends when they went to the high school made. Um, there were like you had uh, Mexican people, I guess, but yeah. they were as grim as it sounds. Most of the time, they were either people working in like McDonald's or like gardeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. So I like I well I say that, but like like I say that like I like, like you do you did have a mixture, but I think it was mostly. A very like white mm. American mm. town, um, and like I say that like it was a lovely place to grow up. I do think there's just something very strange about it. If that, but makes I think sense. being suspicious of it is very important mm. because yeah. if you go into it buying it all is one hundred percent. Like what's going on? I think the but I think and I think having that suspicion, especially growing up there, that's a sign of something super astute that I, you're looking around and you're not really sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, because I think yeah. my mom also she. She tells me a great story where they were they went to they went to the St Mary's Church Fair. It was St Mary's was the local Catholic church? It was torturous. They had ninety minute sermons, mm-hmm. and um, it was crazy because you'd be at the you'd be at the church and people would be putting two hundred dollar checks in the collection basket because they were tax deductible. Oh uh. my god! Um, um, and uh, you had like a, it was filled. The place was filled with like dot com like dot com like guys and venture capitalists and stuff like mm-hmm. that like all like all the kids the kids I went to school with their parents were all like super 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 money um, my mom was at the church fair and she noticed this husband and wife and they're being really cutesy together like holding hands and stuff like nuzzling and she's been married to my father like I think for like at least 20 years at this point and I think they've been married like I don't know how 35 years at least now and she used to turn around to him and she'd be like why aren't you know why aren't we like that like we don't do that at all and my dad said you realize he's on wife number three right (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was the kind of she made these odd observations that like in retrospect have made me really kind of wonder about um like I love like it was a really wonderful opportunity really interesting particularly because I was there when 9-11 happened Mm. um and I remember being eight years old on the playground and very weird way like I I can remember kind of the murmur in the in the background of like the news but obviously I wasn't cognizant of it at the time 
But I also remember being in the playground at eight years old and kids were having this weird one-upmanship of like who had relatives closer to the tragedy. Someone was like, well, I have an aunt who lives in New York. And someone was like, well, I had an aunt who lives in New York and she was on this street. It was very, very eight-year-old way of like coping with the disaster. Um, Mm. What I noticed about, one thing I noted, um, because when I was a kid, you know, we said the Pledge of Allegiance in the morning before class started sometimes and before 9-11 you said it sometimes and you said it at school assemblies and even when I was younger it occurred to me that I was pledging allegiance to a country that I wasn't a citizen of and I found it a bit uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. I sort of was aware of the weird challenges to my national identity that were being presented at that time after 9-11 every morning Whoa. I, I still know it. I know it off by heart. I could say it right now, but I won't though. <laughs> <laughs> Flags, man. That's something I noticed in yeah. San Francisco when I was living there. Like even somewhere as like hyper-liberal as the Bay Area. Yeah. Mm. Flags, man. Love their flags. Yeah. Like, the only places I've seen as many flags as I saw, I was in Florida a few times, um, Belfast. Belfast oh, and the US. That's where you see really? the flags. Because my, yeah. p- my parents are, I was saying this earlier, uh, my parents are both, they were... They went to Queens in the 80s. They were both from the north. My yeah. dad is from Cross McGlen, which is this border town in mm. like South Armagh. My mom's from Enniskillen. So obviously they kind of, they all, they knew all about the troubles basically. And mm. they were, and my mom still remembers like going into pharmacies and being like pat searched and having your bag opened. Um, and they used to joke that it was, this is one of the, few, it was one of the few times that being raised in that came in really handy because they weren't phased at all about the upping of security yeah, while yeah. people in the US were like, oh, I have to do this stuff at the airport now. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was just a very, inter- very interesting setting, very interesting time that I was there. I loved it, but was a little, like there were, there were very strange elements to it, which it's funny because it's mirrored in these games that I played that had this like very beautiful presentation with this kind of grim undertone. I wanted to go back to something about us when we both worked in game shops. Have you noticed, I definitely noticed at the time that the kind of people who bought Harvest Moon and Animal Crossing, it was mm. very heavily gendered. Yeah. Boys and to a lesser extent, The Sims. Yeah. But like these social mediators are very, Definitely. I don't know if it's the same now. I know I played Animal Crossing. My, my roommate bought it and he had all well, four neutral, of us on the same cartridge. But neutral, but dudes don't exactly. They're not, they're not like, they're not like to... pink. They don't have Barbie on no, the cover. But, but the men don't, guys would not go near them. No, young men yeah. don't tend to go for the neutral. They tend yeah. to go for men identify more heavily with things that are gendered towards them mm. and things that present as neutral often are perce- perceived as feminized. Yes. Yeah. So were um, so you saying that Animal Crossing was mostly females? The girl games. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Like, right. I, oh, yeah. I worked there from March to, no, February to like June. And we would sell pink DSs with Nintendogs, Harvest Moon, Animal Crossing. Oh my God, yeah. All the girls with their communion money. I used to and always... guys, no, they would buy FIFAs and Call of Duties and Spare me a Monster Hunter. And yeah. painful FIFA-oriented death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus, it's not a game. Um, I In that essay, um, I talk a bit about one particular moment where one of my managers... Um, so when I would be selling DSs to mm. people or whatever and moms would come in and ask what game was appropriate, no matter what the gender of the child, I'd always have this very yeah. specific Animal Crossing spiel about gender neutral environments, pacifist gameplay, mm. uh, development of environment, you know, all that hippie shit that you say to moms when you're trying to reassure them that video games aren't evil. And it was always Animal Crossing that I pushed, even though there were other options. Because Animal Crossing is the perfect beginner game for a child. Yeah. Because it's so peaceful. It doesn't instill a sense of violence. It doesn't, it's not very competitive. Mm-hmm. It's You're competing with yourself. It's a lot more more of a neutral backdrop um, rather than the pressurised violent environments that like could you could play as a six year old Mm. or whatever and my manager one day turned around mid me having this chat with a mam and snapped 
He was like, Jesus Christ, Sarah. Not everyone is going to like animal poxy crossing. Fuck. And walked away. Wow. In front of the mother. That's really unprofessional. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the worst of it. But I, my, my eyes filled with tears and I was like, fuck, mm. I'm scarlet. Oh my God. And the mom just was like, what's his problem? And I was like, oh. But like, I knew, like, I'm like, yeah. this isn't actually about animal crossing. This is this just guy just didn't like me. Okay. I didn't want to have to work with me. Mm. And um, yeah, I it didn't stop me. <laughs> like, <laughs> it did not stop me selling Animal Crossing to people. Because I do think games like that, that challenge the regular format of shoot, 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 win, 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 mm. violence, 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 are better for younger kids. Yeah, I think definitely. cool if you want to hand your fucking child GTA, walk your bliss, we'll all be fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that video games make axe murderers out of us all. I do I do think that video games can be used for good. Yeah. I don't think there's something wrong with playing video games that are violent. I don't think that they do harm people. I think they're that that it's the culture around them and the toxic masculinity around them that's oh, harmful. God, yeah. But also I think there's a huge difference between us playing GTA one. Oh my god! And an eight-year-old now playing GTA like four or five. Mm. It's a totally different experience. Totally different experience. And like uh, this isn't really about censorship or freedom of speech, etc. As I'm sure this is this is why I don't generally write about this stuff because there's a sect of the internet that I just don't ever want to have to deal with. Mm. uh, Even though I'm a passionate gamer and oh gamer, I'm a passionate (laughs) player of video games. Um, But I, I I always have been. I think it's a tough conversation to have around the right kind of games and the wrong kind of games I don't think there are right kinds of games and wrong kinds of games mm. but I or even appropriate necessarily I do think that you should because kids will always find the games they want to play yeah they will always find them they'll always be exposed to these things but I think cultivating mm. like as a person who has the choice to curate what a child experiences mm. you could kind of be like here's a little town you can go and build a life in yeah. and yeah maybe you're preparing, preparing them for a life of capitalistic nihilism <laughs> and fucking Ikea based joy but so are the Lego games but so they're, they're Lego. By Lego. Like, so yeah. was literally <laughs> well, everything else yeah. in the world because my mom like I played as I said I played a lot of computer games but she only let me play the educational ones Mm, um, yeah, they were all like, yeah, yeah. they were all like, um, and she always used to buy above my age bracket, yeah, because she didn't really believe in it. Because she'd say like, I would be six, and she'd be like, this is eight to ten. She's like, it's fine though, you can handle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I'm really grateful to her for that. And I also do think it probably gave me an edge in school because it meant even when I wasn't doing my homework, like it was math game that I was playing, right. or like it was yeah. a game, it was like a phonics game or like a game to broaden your vocabulary. A lot of them were. That's good. But like really cool, like there was one that was like, it was like a haunted house, but it was also like teaching you English and you had to like pick words and sort of like pick the correct word to put in the sentence to like pass the levels. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had loads of ones like that. Um, And I do think she was, and I'm very grateful to her and that she was very careful and that she like curated that experience. So, because you you talk about like being a passionate player of video games or a gamer and it's funny I never identified as a gamer, particularly because I think there's very particular connotations. And I feel like if I went in to some any, I feel like if I went into a conversation of, with gamers and said I was a gamer, that I'd be laughed out of the place because they'd oh be like, God, you same. just play like... You're like, a casual. Or, You're a casual. I'm a ca- yeah, you <laughs> casual. No, it's just because I played mostly like these social simulators or like point and clicks or I liked like RPGs or things with storylines yeah. to it. I didn't like the I didn't like the action stuff at all. Um, but it's very strange because like, then it's like, I'm not, doesn't that make me a gamer then? Because oh, I yeah. played all these video games growing up and I still play them sometimes. 
have to limit myself but like I still I, like I said I still play every single day but I can't if I I, I can't enter the co- like I can't I, 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 I'm not here to prove myself like mm. that's that's something that does change especially as I think as you come out of being a person who plays video games or mm. a, is an indoor kid that you feel less of a need to be like to prove it I'm like yeah I'm upset like it's I love it it makes me really happy yeah, I think as you can always realise the the AAA Call of Duty isn't the only conversation in gaming God, you yeah, know thank Christ as well that there is so much other stuff mm, around, mm. especially with Steam now, you can just find anything. Like, oh my god, so many! We played yeah. it. We downloaded a game called Goat Simulator recently. Oh, it's yeah. fucking it. hilarious! It's so, yeah. you're just a goat. It's so much fun. Mm. It is so silly. Like there's so much room in 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 that realm. Like the way that there are so many different kinds of books. There are also so many different kinds of games. But in order to reframe the co- a critical conversation around gaming, we have to get through the rabid consumer culture that is again deeply masculine, deeply orientated towards AAA games. Mm. Like, you have to permeate that bullshit before you can get to the good stuff. So it makes the environment really alienating and really toxic. Like, when Pokemon Go came out, I was delighted. Uh, still am, frankly. But uh, stop playing for the winter because you don't go outside because it's cold. Mm-hmm. But I was walking back through town one night after being in the pub um, and I was uh, catching fucking Pokemon at two o'clock in the morning like a little baller. I've and, done that. Uh, <laughs> it was great. I was so pleased. I was so pleased. I was like, I can't believe I'm a grown-up. I have a friend actually Pokemon. who he was coming home from a night out and he was really, or a guy, he was really, really drunk and he was meant to just go home but then he like, instead he like hopped the wall into a park and he was just running around at like looking three for in the morning looking for Pokemon. <laughs> this is the world we live in. boyfriend being like, I'm so drunk and his boyfriend was like, please go home. Don't get arrested. <laughs> we did, there, was one, there was three of us in the pub and we all had Pokemon so we decided to just, one of us only had one drink so we're like, we could just drive around and get Pokemon instead. Yes. So we did that and we found a gym, a very low protected gym, took a gym together. Oh. And then we decided to drive around to figure out where else a good gym could be. And we took one and we came back about eight and we saw it had been taken again. And we saw this guy standing on his own at two in the morning. These are the people, by right? By a gym. Was he sound? Yeah. Oh, we didn't know oh, because we were driving. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we, I think we scared him because we stared out the window at him. <laughs> <laughs> We team know, Valor sucks we know you're a guy Finch 62 yeah. I'm, I'm actually Team Valor but I'm okay I'm sorry <laughs> so, here's, so here's the story about walking home right so I'm walking home catching my Pokemon like fucking walking my truth living my bliss and Marion Square there's a corner where there's a gym and also Marion Square there's Magmars and shit right yeah. So I'm walking by and it's fucking packed. It's like after hours of the pub and I'm like, oh my God, it's nerds, my people. <laughs> I can put my glasses back on. I'm like, hey. I'm also like dressed up on a night out. Now, I, my, my dressed up is very loose. It's like, I st- like, like, Maybe a little bit more eyeliner. Do you know what I mean? I still look like a like a child, but I uh, little little goth child, little little heap I, of black fabric. I'm the exact same. I always look like a goth schoolgirl. Ah, that's it. I, see, I'm too old to get away with schoolgirl, man. I just look like a laundry basket. So I'm like a laundry basket wearing slightly nicer boots. Um, so I was like, all right, let's go make some fucking friends. It's Pokemon time. Absolutely, the least friendly people I've ever met in my fucking life. Really, so unsound. So I was like, man, am I trying to take the gym? And I was like, I was like, is there any like what he was looking for? And they're like, Magmars. I was like, sound. Let's do that. And I was just making small talk, mm. just chatting, right? Grant, easy breezy. Uh, what team are you? And I went, uh, Team Mystic. Oh, fucking Team Mystic. And I was like, excuse you. <laughs> And he was like, fucking hipsters on Team Mystic, man. And I was like, one, I am so old. You are not allowed to call me a hipster. I'm 3,000 years old and I come from the ocean. I'm not familiar with your human ways. Do not call me a hipster, one. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, I trapped myself. And I'm just like, well, actually, because I have the American iOS, because I used to live in the States, I, uh, got on, I got on board really early. So I didn't know that it was Team Mystic was a hipster team. So See, I got on to it before everyone cool. else. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally ran into that corner myself. And I tried tried to take the gym and um, 
I got I got up towards the end. Some asshole had a really high level hip nose. Like total like what a basic bitch, man. Oh yeah, I've got a really big hip nose. Everyone else in Dublin does too. Um, my lappers <laughs> got slapped in the end. But they were super unset and gatekeepy. Mm. And like gal coming from the club catching Pokemon having the laugh is on the wrong team just because I'm not on team fucking yellow you prick do you know what I mean I was so <laughs> pissed because I felt like a kid again which is ah, that that's the bad side of feeling like a nerd kid again where you're like boys who won't talk to me like I'm a human which is odd because the whole point of Pokemon Go is it's supposed to be very like social driver I'm actually a very like I'm super late to the party so I can't I'd love to write an article about it but like no one will take it because it came out like six months ago there was a new update so you're good I think it's always, it's always fresh yeah, but yeah. I have this I have this theory because I was I particularly I was kind of going through a bit of a low spell and I picked up Pokemon Go and I found myself walking outside mm. and doing the more things and before this like I had to go like update my passport and I was like I don't want to go to the guards to update my passport and now I'm, but then after I got Pokemon Go I was like there's Pokestop at the guards there's yes. Pokestop at the GPO I can do this um, so it really incentivized me and I thought it was interesting and a lot of people have um, lauded the fact that it incentivized people to walk and mm. I was kind of wondering whether we might be going to war like it might be interesting if we eventually had games that would incentivize like good civil action like <laughs> picking up real no because people talked about like picking like oh bring a trash bag while you're out playing Pokemon Go and I kind of wondered whether we might eventually like maybe this is me like completely just like going off on a tangent but I kind of wondered whether someday we might get towards a uh, sort of like syst- a system of governance or a system of sort of uh, civic organization which is based off incentivizing good behavior as, um, as rewarding the good mm. because yeah. the gamification of which kind of taps into that Skinner-esque kind of thing where mm. like where you like level up and that advancement and that sort of sense of reward which kind of creates an endorphin burst it could be applied to incentivize like being a good citizen mm. and I always wonder whether like I f- I'm sure Foucault would be very int- mm. would, would be very Foucault would be I feel like Foucault if he were here he would love I feel like Foucault would Pokemon. be chased off the internet by Gamergate <laughs> here, frankly but uh, yeah. I, I kind of wonder whether we're moving towards a, a kind of system of governments which is like incentivized based and where we use gamification because also people hated Pokemon Go because they thought it's like oh people have their like necks in their folds oh instead of in the world you know, oh but, suck my whole dick like oh that <laughs> annoys you so much but yeah. what also I kind of wonder is it's kind of like oh they're not engaging with the world they're engaging with this sort of fake landscape and it's mm. like well is that a problem because yeah. if you have the opportunity to go to have another different landscape and to hold up your phone and see a completely different world like What's wrong with that? I, I saw so many things in Waterford I'd never noticed before when I was in Pokemon Go. Really? Just mosaic. Waterford has so many mosaics up on walls I everywhere, love... which I'd never noticed. Some of the Pokestops and they're all have... stops. Yeah. Some of the Pokestops have little historical facts. Yeah. Like where you can like click in and well, be like, built this was off built the back of that other game. It yeah. was built using the So Waterford, it's all blue plaques and statues and oh. graffiti and you just, I'd never noticed most of it before. What yeah. I love about it is that sometimes a Pokestop is graffiti that no longer exists. Mm. So some of the ephemera and 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 briefness of graffiti mm. is is and street art and the weird things that occur and then disappear in cities is immortalized to Pokemon Go. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's and again, it's a real life simulator. It's your real life. Only you suddenly have a bunch of Pokemon mm. and it's uh, little happy monsters. At the moment, there is a, a Pikachu, a special Pikachu event happening uh, where um, I think until the sixth of March, and I know this is being released later. Yeah. But um, you can catch a Pokemon with a party hat. 
a Pikachu, <laughs> a party Pikachu. Oh my, like, stop me. What I liked like. about Pokemon Go was how it reflected the landscape, the actual Pokemon that were available. Because like, when we were in New York mm. and playing it, it's Voltorbs everywhere. Oh, it's all electric. The yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's really cool. And in Dublin, it's it's really immediate like that. You can walk over to Clontarf to the industrial estates. Mm. Like we walk to fucking Clontarf from where we are. Like we're like, let's <laughs> go urban hiking. Let's do it. Um, electric Pokemon, like uh, all over, mm. like Electabuzz and all, are all over that neighborhood. Um, like Muck and like Grimer and all to be down in Sandy Mount because it's near like the factories. Like mm. it's. Gorgeous. It's it's actually a bit more nuanced than be, and if, especially as time passes because it's constantly in development. Like mm. the time is gone where games were just made stuck on the cartridge. There you go. Go look. Like it's over. That's that that time has kind of shifted. For example, the new animal, new leaf. They released an update for it. Like I think about five months ago, six months ago, which is relatively recently. After it having been dormant for a long mm. time, the game just existed and was as far as you could get. And then uh, they released an update with loads of new neighbors you could get. Mm. You know. Updates change games as we play them. There's much of a less less of a sense of permanence. They reflect mm. the world mm. around us a bit more. I think. I think it's a good place to leave it. Uh, yes. Do you have any final thoughts? Eva? Um, no, just thank you so much for having me. I've really, oh, really enjoyed thank you. this. This is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. It's really thank you, Eva. Thanks. So okay, so thank you again, Eva Short. Thank you, Sarah. Bye, everybody. So that's the episode. Thanks again to Eva Short. That was that was pretty cool. Sarah's still here with me. Hello. Hey. It's always good to have an opportunity to nerd out in extreme detail about the video games I could yeah. have played, So I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, thank that you, cool. Eva. We need to thank some other people. We do. Let's thank Let's not thank the makers of this microphone tonight because my microphone it just, just fell out. It just leapt. So, like a salmon. <laughs> uh, so, we are thanking Headstuff for giving us a place to live. Yep, hosting us, producing us. Generally, all the stuff, all the stuff. Yeah, it's um, been fantastic to be part of something. Yeah, thank okay. you to Dean McDonald for the artwork. Give a loud say, it's fabulous. It's the best of all artworks. Realistically, it's a, it's adorable. If you ever find a Giovanni sticker, take it and put it on your laptop because it's cute. We have stickers. We do. Let us know. Uh, who else do we think? Oh, Headstuff has a Patreon and it, it's all our writers are directly paid from the Patreon so if you like head stuff and you like the podcasts and stuff maybe consider giving a euro to a month to that yeah a pledge goes a long way it really does especially now nowadays in this <laughs> land of, of garbage online news media places like head stuff uh, are in my opinion as a person who does a <laughs> podcast with them doing the lord's work mm-hmm. I so. agree Oh, if you like us, then maybe subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Oh God, I always forget to say that. But yeah. we, we do like it when you do that. Please do subscribe. Yeah. It matters. It lets us uh, become more visible to other listeners. Yeah. Um, which goes a long way. We want to talk to more people. Because charts don't matter, but charts matter as charts well a little bit. Charts matter a little bit. We would just so. like every review and every uh, little little star rating pushes us a little further towards being a bit more visible. There's a lot of yeah. podcasts out there. There really but are. Like, Most of them are sport. Yeah. So, so whatever. Yeah, come on. And the thing is, I check the charts obsessively. So if I know that we're doing okay in the charts, I can check them less and it'll be good for uh, my yeah, mental health. Yeah, it'll be health. good for Alan. Do yeah. it for Alan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Uh, oh, Sarah doesn't want me to say this, but you should buy Sarah's book, oh, Spare and Vampires. It's in the Gutter Bookshop or it's online. And there'll be more news coming from it soon. In the, soon. In the coming episodes, I will have some exciting yeah. exciting news for once. Yes. Ah, yes. So there we go. We'll see you in two weeks, everybody. Bye. Mm-hmm.